0: It's um, yes, it's, it's tough that as we age it, it's but it's inevitable we can't resist it we just need to accept it and look for ways that we can still compete to the best of our ability and enjoy it, have fun, celebrate human movement, you know the the, the, the physical abilities that we have um, celebrate it for what it is at any age.
1: Welcome to Zestful Aging, where I speak with changemakers from all over the world who are contributing to the common good. Contributing to the common good in even the smallest of ways is proven to help us age with vitality and dignity deep contentment. I'm your host, Nicole Christina, psychotherapist and fellow Zestful Ager. My goal is to share optimism about aging and introduce you to guests who will inspire you to live with zest. And to find out more about the podcast, hop on over to ZestfulAging.com. While you're there, sign up for my weekly email newsletter, The Insider, where you will get behind-the-scenes looks at our guests and other fun and quirky tidbits. And if you love the podcast, I'd be grateful if you shared it with your friends. Our music is courtesy of Judy Banker, a previous guest. Find out more at judybanker.com. And our technical director is Stephen Littweiler. Well, folks, I'm back from the National Senior Games in Fort Lauderdale, and it was such a thrill to be among um, all these over 50 athletes. The atmosphere at these games is so upbeat and friendly, but unfortunately, a combination of heat, humidity, nerves, and the unfamiliar clay courts created obstacles I just couldn't overcome, although I met two lovely competitors, one from New Hampshire, one from Vermont. But I am so determined. I'm going to try qualifying for next year's games in Pittsburgh in a couple of weeks here in Cortland, New York. And I'm going to win a match at the national, National Senior Games if it is literally the last thing I do. So speaking of the benefits, um, of sport we have a really special guest today who again I connected with by accident serendipity I like to think and as it turns out she played tennis with a prior lovely guest Gyatta Storman and I keep having these small world experiences it is really <laughs> fun Kip Clark has been a multi-sport elite athlete who now, as she near 60, uses her experiences to coach women in middle and later years. Some of her accomplishments, are you ready for this, include championship titles in rowing, basketball, badminton field hockey, but most of her success in sports has come through playing competitive tennis. She currently holds three national tennis championship titles and has competed in six world championships over the past two decades. Oh my goodness, Uh, that is so cool. She nears her 60th birthday. Kip really values sport, not only for the thrill of the competition, but also for the way it connects athletes from all over the world and for the beautiful camaraderie it provides and for the opportunity to learn and evolve as an aging athlete and human being, and uh, she believes that the lessons learned on a court or field or track translate to other areas of our lives. Welcome to the show, Kip. Thank you so much, Nicole. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm so happy to speak with you, and it is so fun when these meetings just sort of magically appear <laughs> and is. that we know each other, we know people, uh um, And, you know, you're up in Canada, and it's just a small world. It is. It really is. It is so fun. So I would like to just, if you don't mind, take a walk down memory lane with you, because I'm so fascinated and, of course, impressed with your accomplishments. When did you know uh, growing up you were a gifted athlete? Oh,
0: that's a good question. I'm not sure. I think, you know, I, I very clearly remember, I, I grew up in a neighborhood with a lot of kids, uh, and mostly boys. I have older brothers. And, um, in those days, this is the, 1960s and 70s we lived our lives outside mm-hmm. and um, growing up in a neighborhood mostly of boys we played a lot of road hockey I mean we are Canadian after all mm-hmm. uh, summer and winter that was our our main game but we played other sports too: steal the flag and and a little backyard badminton and so on and I do remember a, a neighbor who was really uh, the same age as one of my older brothers saying to me one time I think I was probably about 10 or 11 he said you know you should really try out for a when you get to high school you should really try out for for a team because I think you would make it and I had never thought about anything like that to me in my in my little 11 year old world that seemed uh, wow what an opportunity and I did just that I tried out with for every team I could get on in high school from basketball to badminton to volleyball to field hockey and loved it. Absolutely loved it. And, and so sport has just been such an important part of my life really for my whole life. Um, and, and it just went from there. I, I, I didn't really focus on one sport. I just loved playing a lot of different sports Um, maybe I could have been better at one of them if I'd focused on one, but I just really enjoyed Mm. doing different things. So that's Mm -hmm. really how it all started.
1: And were these uh, girls and women's teams or was there sort of a a Title IX issue of not having those teams, so wanting to play on boys' teams? How was it? Than for you in Canada? There were in the 60s. Yeah, lots of teams uh, for
0: girls. So I did play on primarily girls only teams. There was a little bit of co ed. Uh, and certainly through high school, there was uh, co ed gym classes and things like that. But most of the sports were uh, gendered, you know, boys mm-hmm. over here, girls over there. But I think having having played so much um, sort of street hockey and, and other. <laughs> sports with, with my brothers and with other boys in the, in the neighborhood, I, I was very comfortable. Uh, and, and I honestly think that a lot of them didn't think of me as a girl, as a girl, they just thought <laughs> I was just out there playing. It Another it, it team an member. Yeah, yeah. And that's, you know, that's a beautiful thing about sport. And you touched on it in your introduction, your lovely introduction of me. And thank you for that. Uh, sport has a way of um, I suppose minimizing some of the other issues that arise in other avenues in other in other fields uh, around the world it's it can be such a connecting kind of thing mm-hmm. um, and I love it when th- there are certain sports in which men and women can compete together there aren't a lot of them but it's, it's lovely when that happens but like uh,
1: mix mixed doubles
0: sure mixed doubles I'm thinking about equestrian events and others mm. where it's a really an equal playing field um so but most of my competitive uh uh life has been in female oriented teams on female oriented teams.
1: Well was your family supportive of your athletic endeavors or neutral or how, how did they um what did they think about your your talents? Well I think I was kind of an
0: outlier in my family and that there weren't really any other athletes um that were as as focused and as keen as I was. Um, certainly again, as Canadians every Saturday night, we would watch uh hockey night in Canada, either the Montreal <laughs> Canadians or the Toronto mm-hmm. Maple Leafs. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody mm-hmm. did that back in the late 60s and early 70s. Um, but no, my parents weren't really, my father loved to golf. My mother was not an athlete. Neither of my brothers really did too much after, after grade school. Uh, so I was different in my family in that way, but of course, as you know, when you're involved in sports, you meet so many people. So I Mm. quickly found a, a tribe of friends that loved sports as much as I did. And I think that's what kept me in it because, uh, a lot of girls, uh, you know, another issue, uh, with, with girls in sports is they tend to leave sport when they get Mm. to their adolescent years. And that's a shame. Um, but because I had such good friendships with other girls that were playing sports, I stayed in it and just absolutely love it.
1: So how did, how does it happen in Canada um, when you uh, decided to really focus on tennis? I mean, I assume you were on the tennis team in high school and then... How, how does that sort of recruiting or grooming, like we have the junior tournaments here, is that what you have in Canada? There
0: is now, definitely. When I was, I didn't actually start playing tennis um, seriously until I was in my late 20s. And that's just because I had moved to a different province and I kept meeting people that were tennis players. And so I thought that, well, okay, I'll I'll, I'll go in this direction now. Um, but, uh, there were scholarships and things like that available for high school students, uh, to go to university and get partial, partial or full funding, but that they tended to be more institutions in the U S Canada doesn't tend to have that same kind of, um, athlete recruitment system. Mm -hmm. Um, there is a bit, but nowhere near what there is in the U S
1: no, we recruit all your hockey players, right? <laughs> you do. <laughs> it's, a, it's a bit of a funnel system. I see. Hi, everyone. You may have noticed that Zestful Aging Podcast does not run a lot of ads. That's because I'm just not willing to endorse products that I don't have total confidence in and that I don't use myself. So it really means something when I tell you that after I interviewed Dr. Bill Rawls on cellular health, read his books, and learned about his high standards for quality control, I was sold. I placed an order for Vital Plant supplements immediately. I encourage you to check out both of my interviews with Dr. Bill Rawls and hop on over to vitalplan.com. If you enter Zestful 15, they will give you a 15% off of your first order. I'm really excited for you to try these products. I think you'll be very impressed. Now, back to the show. So, you know fair to say you have devoted your life and, and and would you say your identity is really around being a world-class athlete? There's no
0: question about that Nicole and um, this whole question of identity is it's an interesting one and I I came up against it in a kind of harsh way through almost three and a half years ago when I had to have a hip replacement and I I was I was shocked to get the diagnosis, I have osteoarthritis, and, um, and of course, when you, when you get that diagnosis, I'd never had a surgery before, and it felt huge and uh, very foreboding, and I, I really wondered what happens if it doesn't go well, and I'm not able to compete the way I want to, what does that mean? in terms of my identity, am I still an athlete? If I can't compete at the same level I've been competing, mm-hmm. am I still an athlete? And so there were some really um, difficult and self-reflective days that I I went through. Um, and of course, the surgery did go well and I have been able to get back out on the court again. Um, but it's, it's such a powerful part of my identity. And I really feel sport, for me, anyway, it informs so many other areas of my life. The lessons that I learn on a tennis court translate into other areas with respect to managing one's emotions, dealing with conflict, um, mm. you know, preparing for something, having the discipline and the and the um, drive to train ahead of time, work towards a goal, but yet not being completely goal oriented, but Focusing as much on process mm. as outcome, um, all those kinds of things I think inform other areas of, of our lives, and um, just learning to deal with all sorts of people and um, personalities. You know that that's <laughs> something that we that we have to uh, manage every day. So
1: it's so funny because my friends and i all say it's really a Roar Shark test. Uh, (laughs) When you get on the court, how you deal with maybe what you think is a bad line call, how you deal with not performing well, it is all laid out bare, right, on the court. Yes. What have you learned over your years competing at this level in terms of these things you're talking about? How do I deal with my emotion? How do I deal with conflict? How do I deal with maybe being these are my words, not yours, uh, annoyed at my partner or annoyed at the opponents or what have you learned? What have you taken from it? Gosh, so
0: much. Um, and, and I continue to learn. So it's not a, it's not a finished thing. And I think that's, that's one of the beautiful aspects of sport is we never completely master it. Um, the French open is on right now. And so we're, we're, being treated to these really high-level matches with professional players, um, these athletes who are at the top of their game, absolute best in the world, still get coaching, still spend time on the court training, still do the work in the gym. Um, So sport is never a a finished thing. It's always something that's in progress. And as, as we athletes age... Certainly what I've noticed is my perspective has changed as my ability shifts. So I'm not as fast as I was. I don't have Mm -hmm. the same kind of explosive first step. I don't have the same power that I had. And as those parts of my athleticism diminish, then I compensate sort of naturally in other ways. I have to play smarter to compensate for my lesser ability uh, as a physical athlete. And mm-hmm. that's been very interesting uh, for me to notice that to observe it, and I see it in many of my fellow athletes as well. As we age, we we change our perspective, changes, and I think to um, the importance of winning is diminished somewhat. It and, and I have to say, as as a an athlete, you do of course want to do your best, and you do want to to win, but it's Less important. What's more important is: Have I shown up today? Have I given my best? Was I focused? Did I did I not let distractions get in the way of of playing at my best? Um, was I able to manage whatever my opponent was was giving me? Um, and so it's it's just this fascinating shift as one part of my ability slowly diminishes, another part is strengthened. And Mm -hmm. I wish I had... The wisdom that i've acquired now <laughs> back when i was perhaps a stronger <laughs> faster athlete that would have been amazing but it's not how it goes so mm-hmm. um and you know we can see even right now nadal is is dealing with an injury with his foot he's out there competing in the same heart the same unbelievable focus mm-hmm. and energy he always has and then when the match is over he limps he's limping around in the mm-hmm. change room he's limping around uh you know, so he's also managing his changing ability, his changing body. And so I think sport really causes you to pull up and, and look at that in a way that perhaps you're not required to in other areas of our life. It, you know, you're, you are so aware of your aging body as an mm-hmm. athlete, and mm-hmm. it's not a bad thing. Um, in Canada we have our, our winningest athletes are in the over eighties category and oh. they're, they're incredible. <laughs> um, they really are. They're so inspirational. So, uh,
1: do you know Carl Honoré at all? Are you familiar with his work? He's a, uh, he's a Canadian and he's a journalist. I interviewed him recently and he's written books about aging. And But he became aware of this because he's a recreational hockey player and he scored the winning goal and then realized he was uh, the oldest player on the team. So he thought it was going to be this, you know, victorious moment, and then somebody just offhandedly mentioned, like, good job, old guy, or something like that. (laughs) And he, like, it it kind of threw him in a a real tailspin. Oh, I can understand that.
0: But, you know, I I was just uh, thinking this morning about an experience I had when I was rowing competitively, and I was on a crew uh, and we competed in Head of the Charles, this is back mm-hmm. uh, over 20 years ago, and so oh I was in my late 30s at the time, and <clears throat> another of my crewmates was in her early 30s, and another gal, late 20s, early 20s, and then our cox was 17, and we... <laughs> we- <laughs> like could be your daughter. Yes, exactly, and we had a practice um, the day before our event uh, was happening, and we had been out, we'd rowed you know, up and down the, the Charles and then came back and we're pulling the boat out of the water and just standing on the dock. And this, this single scholar glided into the dock and she stepped out of the boat and up onto the dock. And she was just, I would guess that she uh, was in her sixties at the time. She had just a beautiful rower's body, lean, but strong. And we all, my, my crewmates and I just, just looked at her and we all almost in unison said, oh, you know, I hope I mm-hmm. look that good and can compete like that when I'm that age, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, what an inspiration. So it's, um, yes, it's, it's tough that as we age, it, it's but it's inevitable. We can't resist it. We just need to accept it and look for ways that we can still compete to the best of our ability and enjoy it, have fun, celebrate human movement, you know, the the the, the physical abilities that we have, um, celebrate it for what it is at any age.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, you know, you've talked about this in a way that is, you know, optimistic and positive, is, have you also, and you alluded to this with your hip replacement, How do you think about um, the grief aspect and the loss aspect of I used to be able to do that? I used to be able to whatever, you know, um, know, there's so many sports that you're involved in. And now that's just not something I can do anymore. How do you approach that? What's really a loss?
0: Yes, it, it is. Um, but (laughs) I really try not to think about that. It, it, it does come up, it comes up uh, from time to time, but it doesn't really serve me. It doesn't serve us as athletes to, to have those thoughts because really all we can do is keep ourselves as fit as reasonably possible. And I don't spend as much time in the gym as I used to. I don't train the same way I used to because my body, first of all, can't, tolerate the same level of training that I used to do but it's also not as important to me as it as it was um, I do want to stay as fit and strong as possible but within certain certain limits so uh, really what I what I prefer to focus on is what am I able to do now and how can I maintain the best level of health and fitness so that I can continue to play and compete and enjoy the sport I love for as long as possible. And as Mm -hmm. you know, tennis is a sport that you can play uh, (laughs) your whole life. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, another tip is I've, I've learned that I, that I, uh, connect with younger partners that makes a big difference a younger legs on the court you know that <laughs> can run down the balls that I can't exactly <laughs> yours is my best shot you know
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes I see so you are now uh, a transformational coach and you work with women um and who who comes to you kip what are the kind of uh women who come to you for help well you know
0: um i do work with women mostly in their middle years in their 50s and 60s um, a little bit in their 70s and not not necessarily athletes uh just women who have reached a point in their lives where they're feeling they've they've spent most of their adult lives supporting and nurturing, uh, raising children, supporting a spouse, um, it, oftentimes working in a in a demanding career, and so often women will put their own priority their own needs uh, last. You know they prioritize themselves last, and I think that they reach a point. What I've noticed is that that midlife women. Tend to reach a point where they don't want to do that anymore, and it's not that they're they don't want still to be there for their children and their and their spouses, their family, etc. It's just that they want more for themselves now as well, and they don't know how to go about that. Uh, some women that I talk with say they feel kind of invisible because they don't have the the bloom of youth that they had. They worry mm. about that, uh, so mm-hmm. we work a lot on just you know um looking for and celebrating the beauty that that we have at this age because we women in our middle years have so much to offer we have we have decades of wisdom um and we also we reach a point where we feel like you know we just we don't want to play by the rules necessarily the way we have been we want to let our hair down a little more we want to have a little more fun we want more vibrancy more zest uh, to use your beautiful <laughs> term um, and so usually it's just a, a woman who isn't sure how to bring those things into their into her life and so I help uh, we just look at what what sort of values are most important and and then look for ways that we can bring that in either through um, through employment, through relationships through hobbies or interests um, really any any way that helps the midlife women feel, lit up again, feel excited mm. about her life, feel that there's a lot to look forward to, that she has so much to give, that she's seen and heard and understood and, and valued as the beautiful human she is inside and out.
1: Mm. Do you talk at all about the effects of ageism as well as sort of a general, uh, uh, what shall I say, well, a discrimination that... Um, we come up against is that something that's part of your uh, teaching method? I don't tend to
0: focus on that. I prefer to focus on the positives and just helping mm-hmm. women see their own gifts, their own beauty to to really see themselves um as amazing humans uh, and not to, f- not to focus on those negative aspects because I really believe that what we focus on, that's what we, what we attract in our lives. So if mm-hmm. we're always thinking, Oh, I'm not seen anymore. I'm invisible. I'm frumpy. I'm, I'm, <laughs> you know, middle-aged. Nobody wants to talk to me mm. or have anything to do with me. Well, that's, then that is what you will project energetically. And that's the kind of attitude you will attract as well. So I, I work with women to help them uh, have a much more positive uh, mindset that to help them see, you know, I am a fully formed human and Mm -hmm. I may be flawed, but we all are and there's still beauty in that. And there's just so much that to do and to discover, to explore, to, um, you know, I I encourage women to to, create, yeah, to be adventurers of their own lives Mm. and be curious. And what, what is this phase of life? Where is the beauty and the, and the opportunity and the magic in this phase? Because there is at every phase, there really is.
1: And you know, what's interesting is I I totally uh I am on board with what you're saying. I find that sometimes women can be scared and they say, "But I've never traveled alone or I've never tried to play the ukulele or I've never whatever." And the idea that it might be a little uncomfortable at first and you and you can still do it.
0: No question about that, but what I encourage women to do is just just try it. I mean, what mm-hmm. who cares? Really, who cares? And um, I think every successful person, every person who is really out there, who is who is a high-profile person, the people that we tend to think of as successful, they have had failures upon failures upon failures mm-hmm. as part of their journey. Uh, they didn't. They didn't get it right every time. They didn't mm-hmm. do it perfectly every time. Uh, we women, I think, uh, suffer mightily from perfectionism, um, and when. The, the women I work with, when they see that they can try things and if they don't do it perfectly or even if they stumble a bit, they they survive it. They're fine. They can carry on. And in fact, people will actually connect with them better when they see that they're. this is someone just like me. This is a regular person just like me. They don't want necessarily to, to be um, uh, dealing with Perfect people—that's too much pressure. It really is, mm-hmm. and so—and
1: it's a facade. It's not. I mean, there is no
0: such thing, right? Exactly right. So I—I I just say, you know what? Just why not give it a try? Truly, what you have to lose, and consider what you have to gain. Wouldn't you love to feel really excited about your life? Excited about each new day, having a new project. There's nothing like that to really energize, and and make us feel more youthful if that's what someone is looking for, if then trying something new and and just being excited about that. I have a friend who is now 80 and she just took up ukulele lessons last year (laughs) speaking
1: Speaking of ukulele ukulele, it's having a moment it is it really is
0: and she's so happy she's having such a good time and she's meeting this whole different group of ukulele players that are (laughs) unlike other groups she knows so it can be something it can be a painting class uh, some kind of an art class it can be trying Mm -hmm. uh, an aqua fit it can be Um, Joining a walking group in nature, it can be, I I mean, you you mentioned travel and and some women being fearful of traveling alone, and that's a legitimate concern. But there are organizations that will plan trips specifically for single Mm. women, and make Mm -hmm. it as safe as possible. So there are always ways of overcoming those perceived limitations, and they really are just perceptions.
1: You know, are you familiar with this online? Um, I guess it's a course platform called Domestica. Do you know this? One? I've heard of that. Yes, yes, I have. So I just fell upon it because I'm sure Google's. You know, I'm all into the uh, the algorithms, and they figured out. Yeah, she's going to go for this one. All right. <laughs> so I just started taking this class that is botanical sketching for medita- meditation it was 10 dollars it's beautifully produced it's by this artist by the name of Lapin he's a french guy and he had this sort of zestful aging experience where he was commissioned he's he's a, apparently a well established artist in europe he lives in barcelona and he was doing all this commission supporting himself and his family with commissions and in uh covid they all dried up because he couldn't travel so he started sketching meditatively now not really quickly the plants in his home and he made this little course which is only you know they're like short little 15 minute segments totally easy digestible so you try it and you don't feel like you've invested huge money huge resources huge time it is delightful so you go out in your garden with your little fine tip pen and start start looking at the shapes of leaves and drawing them. And it's it's like a whole, and you know, it's not causing me stress to be like, I can't do this, you know, this is terrible. It's just a little new thing to your point where let's try something new. Well, exactly. And the thing about something like
0: that, going out into the garden and sketching, first of all, you're outside, you're looking at Mm -hmm. at the natural world, which is something anyone who lives in a city, that's so important. There's so much concrete around us. We need to be looking at flowers and trees and just walking in in forests and so on. Um, But it's also a kind of, Meditative practice, isn't it? Because you're very centered in that moment. You're just thinking about this, this beautiful flower that you're trying to capture on paper or a canvas, and it's a very gentle kind of process. So, um, those sorts of activities can be so um, important on a kind of a spiritual or soulful level. You know mm-hmm. that uh,
1: absolutely.
0: Yeah, and I, and again, coming back to. To sport everything for me <laughs> comes back to sport <laughs> it's i've never been the kind of person that can sit and meditate and i am in such admiration of people that can do that i just cannot i get twitchy i've tried it so many times but for me if i step onto a court and start hitting some tennis balls and And I'm able to to just let everything else go and just be in the moment. That is the most beautiful kind of moving meditation for me. And it's such a reset. It just, uh, it helps me manage my emotions in other areas of my life because I've had this period of time similar to being out in a garden and looking at flowers or sketching them or, or, being in a, a a circle with other ukulele players and just playing <laughs> songs, the other, you know, it's it's just something that is it's different. It's not part of you know our ordinary lives. It engages our brains differently. That's very healthy for us. So I just love those kinds of things. And and uh, that website and that course that you're talking about, that's beautiful because they're, they're little mini mini sessions that you can you can take and just try something new and feel again energized and and zested up
1: (laughs) that's that's so great you know I wrote an article uh, many years ago called tennis as a meditation and it's exactly that like when you're focusing on that yellow ball and that's all you're focusing on You can't be thinking of, oh, I hope I have enough coffee for tomorrow morning. Oh, that, you know, that insensitive thing someone said to me. Oh, I have to do blah, blah, blah. There's so much work. It gives your mind like a little vacation, doesn't it? It really does. And it's so, I'll come away from having
0: either playing a few sets or just doing drills with a friend. And I feel, I feel happy. I feel settled. I feel grounded. You know, I feel back in my body instead of up in my head where I live so much of the time. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So absolutely, yes, you're absolutely right about that.
1: One of the things that I try to do, and there's no comparison of our levels, but I just try to say I am so grateful and privileged to be doing this, that I have the time, I have the resources to be hitting balls with someone I really like, someone who's like-minded, people who, you know, they're my, they're my people. And like, I just say to myself, how many people get to do this? And it brings an ease and a whole level of like, it's a gratitude practice in and of itself to be on that court.
0: Oh, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, that's beautifully put.
1: So we, we have this outdoor, we can't, like you, you know we're, I'm in upstate New York and we can't play outdoors for too long. So when we do, it's quite lovely. And there's a particular high school uh, we, we play at and there's always a red-tailed hawk circling. Sometimes there's deer. Some, a couple of days ago, there was a little groundhog. So it's, <laughs> you know, just we stop and say, hey, what kind of bird is that? Or I see one hawk. Uh, There's another, you know, so it's like this (laughs) all-inclusive experience.
0: Oh, exactly. And uh, there was... Time I had, uh, I've had several rescue dogs uh, over the years, and I had a dog uh, about 10 years ago who was just the most chill dog. He was a lab, and I used to bring him to the tennis courts. and One day in particular, I was hitting with a friend of mine, and my dog just wandered onto the court and then he went to the <laughs> net, and then he just lay down with his back <laughs> against the net and just went to sleep because the court was <laughs> warm and the sun was shining. He oh, so wanted
1: to be near you, he just wanted to be
0: part of it in his own way, and so we just carried oh. on and hit balls. you know above him and it was just
1: fine (laughs) so monkey in the middle yep that's a great story I would think my dog I have a border collie mix and he would just go nuts with the balls (laughs) his head would explode so (laughs) so lovely so Kip where can people find out more about you your incredible accomplishments but your transformational coaching and and all of the good stuff you do. Yes, absolutely. Uh, My
0: website, www.kipclark.com. People can check it out, uh, read some of the blog posts that I've written, just have a look around. Um, yes, I have accomplished a lot. I'm very proud of that in my life. But what I'm most excited about is what's ahead. You know, what am I doing now and what's ahead for me? And how can I, how can I serve others? How can I support women at this beautiful phase of our lives? How can I connect with other people like you who are doing such good work? Um, so thank you so much for the, for the, uh, for the plug there, but I'm, I'm most focused now on what I can create now and, and moving forward. And, um, Mm -hmm. I'd love to talk to anyone who is, as we said, just maybe a little bit unsure about where she is in her life and how to maybe shift a little bit to, to feel more enlivened and to feel that she has more, mm-hmm. more zest in her own life.
1: <laughs> I love that. That's, that's so beautiful. Thank you so much for, speaking with me today. And you're so inspiring. I love your attitude about, hey, what's next? Let me go get it. <laughs> um, really appreciate that. Thank you so much. Well, thank you, Nicole. It's been an absolute delight speaking with
0: you. And not just because you're a fellow tennis player, but you're, <laughs> a, you're a wonderful human being. And I, I love what oh. you're doing. And i um, so happy to have been part of this. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much for joining us on Zestful Aging. If you like the podcast, please share it with some of your friends. If you think decluttering could help you feel better and you could use a little assistance with that, check out the online course I've developed with professional organizer and designer Carrie Luteran. It's called Too Much Stuff.